Hi, and welcome to Prayers, Promises, and Principles, a podcast from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization based in Dallas, Texas, and known by many as Maggie's. In this series, we take an in-depth look at the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous to study valuable prayers, promises, and principles from each step. In each episode, an alcoholic woman in recovery will use her personal experiences and knowledge of the Big Book to take a deeper look at the step being studied. Please note, the curriculum we teach is from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. However, we are not an Alcoholics Anonymous group and we are not associated with AA. We're so glad you're here. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Next Step participants, graduates, and listeners to this special edition of Studying the Steps with prayers, promises, and principles. I'm super excited to have Miss Lisa Cronkey on, who is going to take us through the first two steps, steps one and two. Super excited about that. Super grateful that we get to have her. Super grateful that you guys are all on today. A few things for the listeners. If you hear something and you have some major takeaways from this, we just ask that you screenshot the episode, upload it to your Instagram story, and tag the Magdalene House. Um, And if you like this episode or any other episode, please like, review, subscribe, um, share. It really helps us uh, reach more alcoholic women, which is what we are trying to do. So I'm going to turn it over to the one, the only, Lisa Cronkis. I'm so excited. All right. Hi, you guys. My name is Lisa Cronkey, and I am a recovered alcoholic. Um, and my sobriety date is June 2nd of 07. So it's, this is such an interesting topic for me. And I was involved in a meeting with um, Chloe and Stephanie when we figured out that this would be a really fun topic to do because I really had never been a part of a study on the promises, the prayers, and the principles. And then Stephanie was like, well, I think that you should you know, lead it off. And I'm like, well, I think Chloe should lead it off. And so we kind of, so the, the, the reason for my fear is that I've never done this before. You know, there's a first for everything. And, and, you know, we constantly ask you guys to walk through fear in the first time that you present on a topic. So you're looking at a woman right now who is in fear because I've never done this before. So just invite God in the room and talk about my experience and hope that you guys or I, we all learned something. So one of the first things that happened when I started really thinking about, because I've been thinking about this for a week, what to talk about, you know, especially with step one, because there's no real promises in step one, not least in the book. But the first thing I did, and Stephanie knows me, I, I like to pull back and look at the bigger picture. So for me, I had to literally look at what are the definitions of the prayers and the promises and the principles. So I want to go over that first, because I think that's really important to understand, like, what are we talking about when we're talking about a principle? What does a prayer look like and the purpose of that? And then what is a promise? So one of the things I found, which I love this definition of principle, um, actually, I'm going to do promises first. The definition of promise is, um, it's a noun. Like, so we're going to use this as a noun. Like I not promise this, but this is a promise that happens after we do something. And there's two really cool definitions I want to go over and talk about. So the first one is a declaration or assurance that one will do a particular thing 
or that a particular thing will happen, which I love that. So this is like a, uh, something that assurance that something's going to happen. But my favorite one is this, a gift graciously bestowed, not a pledge secured by negotiation. So it's almost like grace. Like this is the definition of something that will happen. Um, and there's no negotiation. There's no transactional part of it. It just happens to me if I do certain things. So I love that. So then the other, the second uh, word that I thought was really, um, that I thought I knew the definition of was prayer. So I looked up a couple of definitions and I loved the two that I found as we're going into the study. The first is an earnest hope or wish. So I thought that was cool because I thought it was always about me getting something. So it's literally just like a hope or wish. I'm talking to God about it. And then the second definition is a prayer is a way of being in the moment, being present and being open. That hit me like a ton of bricks because I literally, that's the outcome that happens to me when I'm in prayer is that I am in the moment. It's almost like that mindfulness that everybody's talking about, like the buzzword right now. But if I can just sit and be in the moment and get calm, it helps me to be present for the rest of the day. It helps me to be open for the rest of the day. So I really, I particularly love that. I had to sit and kind of sit in it yesterday when I was looking at that definition because it really, um, it hit me. And then the definition of principle, which principle is so black and white, it's almost not, it's not fun because it's just a thing, you know, but it's important because it's what something that we take away from whatever we're learning. So the principle definition that I found, which I like is a fundamental truth that serves as a foundation for a belief system. So as we get into step one, so I love those definitions of the prayer and the promise and the principle because it helped me to start to look at step one, particularly step one. Step two is pretty easy. It's like low hanging fruit, but step one in a different way. So let's get into step one. Okay, first of all, I love interaction, as you guys know, because I always talk about that um, in these meetings. So if you guys have any questions or any input on those the first part of this um, talk, let me know. Just raise your hand or talk it out, you know, tell, because if you've got a question, somebody else may have a question. So at any point, just interrupt me if you guys have um, any questions. So I thought that instead of just kind of mechanically talking about step one, I would talk about, for me, what step one felt like, because I knew what step one was. I could, I knew the knowledge of step one. Someone told me about the, you know, the book. I definitely had a decade of experience out there, but I want to talk about the promises of step one. So if we look at step one, and I'm going to go to page numbers in the promises, FYI. If we look at step one, for me, step one, I loved Bill's story in his step one. And when I was first sober, I didn't really think about Bill's story in step one. I was really just the you know title, the title page and the, the really the doctor's opinion in page 24. But Bill's story is really, there's just a lot of promises in there. And on page 15, it talks about that I will surely die, that this is a deadly disease. So that's a promise. 
Now, one of the things that I was taught that there's not just a lot of positive promises in the book, there's also some negative promises in the book. So when we look at promise, a promise is not always positive. So when I was thinking about promises, I was putting promises in a box, thinking that they were always going to be so positive. But there's also some promises that if I don't do this work, that this is a deadly disease, that no, on page 30, it says no real alcoholic ever recovers control. Another promise. Like it's going to tell me that that's, that's, that's going to happen. That I'm never a real alcoholic. I will never be able to, to be control. I can never control my alcohol consumption. Therefore, I'm never cured of this. And that is all about the physical allergy. Because of the physical allergy, I have this promise that I know to be true, that I will never be able to control and enjoy it, that I will never be cured of this thing because my body will never change. I love this promise on page 160. In a vision for you. But no one is too discredited or sunk too low to be welcome if he means business. And so that's a huge promise that if you mean business, and there's a big if there, if you mean business, that no one has sunk too low or done the thing that's so terrible that you can't recover. Now that's a huge positive promise. And that gave me a lot of hope. So that's a step one that no matter how far down the road that I've gone in my decade of drinking, that I can still recover. That gave me hope, especially after hearing that I was going to die of the disease unless I've had, unless I continue to do this and had a solution or spiritual awakening. So um, the promises of step one just to sum it up for me was that I'm going to die of this illness without something that's going to come in between me in the first drink. I'm going to die. I'm going to like, and I've said this so many times and you've probably heard me say it at Maggie's, but we want the women who complete the social detox program to walk out of Maggie's and say, I know I'm going to drink again. I know I'm going to drink again without a solution. I know it's, when a woman walks out of Maggie's and says, oh, I got this. I know I'm not going to drink again. That's scary. That's, that's, that's a scary statement because me being a real alcoholic, I know I will. To this day, I know I will unless I am in 10, 11, and 12. So the promises of step one are real and they're a little scary, but there's also a little hope there too, which, okay, let me, let me back up. There's no hope in step one, but I tell you what I did get was relief. I got relief because I always thought I was a bad person. I always thought that I was a horrible loser mom. And then what I discovered in step one was that I am just an alcoholic. I'm a real alcoholic. So while I didn't get any hope, I knew I was going to die of this thing. I did get relief because I remember sitting there and you guys, I've told you guys this story before, but I'm sitting there in this room and I'm thinking, I had this aha moment going, oh my God, I'm, I'm just an alcoholic. The, the simplicity of that statement is so real in the simplicity of the problem. Also, the solution should be equally as simple. Now, is it easy? No, because everybody's sober for easy, but it is simple and we make it so hard, so difficult. All right, let's go to the prayer. Anybody have any questions about any of that? Okay, prayers, the step one prayers. So 
in the big book, there's no step one prayer. <laughs> I've looked and searched, and this is not the first time I've searched for it because a woman has asked me several times, um, where are the prayers in step one? There are prayers for every step, but there's prayers for every step except for step one in the big book. But I tell you what, I like this. And I thought about this. And so this is my prayer. I, God, I admit I'm powerless. God, I admit I am powerless. And that's really all I have to say. I mean, I'm a real alcoholic and I need help. And to surrender that, to, to really look at the word surrender and put my sword down, because <laughs> I had a big old fat sword, because you and I are so much alike. I, to, to be able to surrender and put it down and, and know that I don't know is a huge thing. And I know that the only reason I did that, the only reason I admitted I was powerless, the only reason that I would admit that I needed help is because I knew for sure because of the vodka <laughs> and because of the knowledge in the book that I was going to die. I didn't have a third door. There was no other. I knew for sure, like stage four alcoholism and what I mean by that, I don't mean a physical disease stage four alcoholism. What I mean is stage four alcoholism is I am, my ego is completely deflated. It's dead. It's gone. Like I've got no more ideas. I am powerless. I can pray. I can pray for that. At least I do. So let's move on to the principles. Um, so in other words, for the prayer, getting back to the definition of a prayer, I'm doing this. I don't want anything in return. Like I'm just on my knees telling God I am powerless. I admit I'm surrendering. I am powerless. I need help. I'm not asking God for help. I just need help. I'm so afraid to ask for anything except for something that will help somebody else that I don't want to do that yet. The principles. The one thing I know that the principle that we teach or we have here is surrender. And I love the word. But as in all the steps, there's so many principles that we can attach to each of the steps. The main one that we want you guys to focus on for sure is surrender. Just like in step two, it's hope. And I think surrender is huge. I mean, surrender is a part of the promises. I mean, I have to surrender first. The um, prayers, I am powerless. I am surrendering everything I think I know, because I know for sure I'm an alcoholic. It's the only thing I know. It's the only step I have to understand. I love the fact that we can talk about the word surrender attached to the word honesty. Like I'm never going to truly surrender the fact that I can't do this alone. I for sure am an alcoholic unless I get completely honest with the fact that I am done. And, and I was talking to, to a woman the other day and, and she was like, how do you know when you're done for good and all? It's almost like I didn't really, I didn't want to be done for good and all. But I honestly knew that if I wasn't, I was going to die. So I had to be honest with myself, even if the fact that I didn't want to be done for good and all, but I knew I needed to be and I had to be, and I really never wanted to drink again. So I never wanted to be drink again. So it's a conundrum. That's honesty. The other part is, but I was afraid to, 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 to be done for good and all. 
It's a conundrum. But I was honestly in that place. And that was all I needed to affect the beginning. I knew for sure that I had this allergy. I knew honestly that I had the obsession because I could not stay away from the first drink, no matter the wish or the necessity. So I was honest about that. If until I completely surrender, I am not going to seek a solution. I am not going to go out and seek a solution as hard as I need to, is, is, is with all of my energy until I've completely given up. It's so weird. Once I completely give up the idea, this, that idea is crushed, like it talks about on page 30. I mean, I truly, it's crushed till I can affect a beginning. That's an honest statement. I know for sure that I have to surrender. So this principle of true powerlessness, surrendering actually leads to freedom. It's, it's, the, it's like, the, it's, it's an opposite of, of human nature that if, if I, if I lay down and I surrender, I put everything and I just set aside this like surrender that that's going to lead to freedom. Like I'm going to know a new freedom and a new happiness when I do that. It feels like I'm giving up too much and I'm not going to receive, I'm not going to get that. Like I'm giving up alcohol. I'm giving up my self-will. I'm giving up everything that I know. And it doesn't feel like I'm going to be getting what I think I need to get in return. So that's why a woman sitting in front of me can give me hope because I have to surrender. I have to be completely honest about it. And I feel like I'm completely naked. Like I've been exposed and it doesn't feel like that it's going to end well. That's human nature. So the principle of surrender is really so, it's so simple and it doesn't require much for me except for to be completely honest about my problem and just to, to stare at the floor and be teachable. And boy, I made it really complicated um, when I was trying to get sober, you know, talking about my parents or my husband and all these external things, but it really came from within here. It, it literally, the desire came from within. It makes me cry, but it, um, it was a really black place. And that is the principle to me of surrender, of complete honesty and, and, and literally saying I'm powerless. And if you've known me for five minutes, you know that <laughs> that feels weak. It was the most, it was the strongest thing I've ever done as a woman. And it was crazy. All right, so that's my spiel on step one. <laughs> any questions about any of that? I have a question. Uh, I was just wondering, so you were saying just now that, you know, you were making it really difficult for you at, at first to really understand what it was to surrender. Like at first it was all the externals, whether it was your parents or your husband, what was like the catalyst or what was it that finally kind of made you look internally and realize that it was something that you just had to do more from within than focus so much on the externals? So that's a great question. So when I was focused on the externals, there's two answers to that one second. 
when I was focused on the externals and I tried to fix everything, like I tried to go and fix my relationship with my mom, or I tried to be a better wife, I drank more. Like that didn't work, <laughs> you know? And then I was like, what? I don't understand. Like this is, there's gotta be a why I'm an alcoholic. Right. And then the second answer to that, it's like, I can't change my past. So if I'm trying to go and change my past and in and, and my childhood or whatever my old relationship looked like with my husband, I'm never going to be free because it, my, my freedom is always going to be contingent on the past changing, which the past will never change. I will be walking on eggshells for the rest of my life, hoping that, you know, something else doesn't happen, but there's no freedom in that. Like I'm giving all of my power to something external instead of virtually to God and me. I'm giving you that power. So externally, while I think that there's a lot of trauma in my life that exacerbated my drinking that made it worse, for sure. I am not going to debate that. But if I know that I'm the alcoholic, that I am the problem, then there's freedom in that because I can get my power from God and I will be okay. I can recover regardless of what anyone says or does for the rest of my life. That's freedom. Awesome. Thank you so much. Can I uh, say one more thing to you? One of my favorite things, Lisa, that you say, um, and I just want to get it in for the podcast, is if I'm drinking because of blank, then go fix my blank. Can you talk about that? Yes. So, you know, I hear a lot of women asking why. Why am I not? Why am I an alcoholic? And there could be absolutely, and, the, and, and Alcoholics Anonymous, to be honest with you, is full of people who drink because of a blank. Like I drink because of my childhood. I drink because I've had a lot of trauma. I drink because something, I was sexually assaulted. I drink because of whatever that blank is. And if that's the case, then you have the ability, my, our hats off to you as a book calls, go fix your blank go fix it and just quit drinking problematically, right? Quit it. If alcohol is your problem and you're using alcohol to fix something that you are feeling, then go fix your blank. But I don't drink because of a blank. I drink because of an alcoholic. Look, the chapter is not why it works. It's how it works. And so if I could go fix my blank, don't you think I would have tried that first? It's almost insulting for someone to say that to me because I tried that first. Like I was completely out of ideas and I drank no matter what. It's Tuesday and a margarita is a two for one. I mean, there was no blank for me. But the, 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 the interesting thing is I want to get this in too, is I had to go try that first. Like I would always have a lurking notion that maybe if I did one, this one thing that I could drink normally. So I had to do all that. Like I encourage women to go try to fix your childhood, go into therapy, try to try that first to stop drinking. If the, if you think that you've got an issue, I really want women to figure that out. And I, for me, myself, cause I'm so stubborn, I had to go down that road in order for this to work forever. Are you or someone you know struggling with the inability to stop drinking? 
At the Magdalene House, we believe that alcoholic women deserve a place to recover with dignity. In our two-week residential program, clients will be introduced to what alcoholism is and what alcoholism isn't, as well as be presented with the solution, all in a loving and supportive environment. All of our programs are offered at absolutely no cost, and because we accept no government money, we can accept women all over the world and stick to our own curriculum. If you want to stop drinking and cannot, call 214-324-9261 for a phone screen. All right, so let's move on to step two. And step two is such low hanging fruit. It's so this step one was a hard one. Step two, let's look at the promises. There's so many, this is so good. All right, I wanna talk about this because the promises of step two are enormous. And so I'm just gonna hit on a couple of them because I could be here all day. But I love particularly on page 25, it said, when therefore we were approached by those whom the problem had been solved, there was nothing left for us to pick up a simple kit of spiritual tools lay at our feet. We have found much of heaven and we have been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence with which we had not even dreamed. I mean, come on. That's like the best promise in the entire book. You're telling me that this is not going to be about sobriety, that this is going to be about fourth dimension living, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. I'm going to miss my alcohol so much. That there's no way that I'm going to be living in fourth dimension. But that's the whole promise of step two is that I think I know what living on a spiritual basis is going to look like. So I, I'm being arrogant in that statement by saying, no, that's not going to happen for me because I, I'm different. I'm going to miss alcohol. It happened for you, but it's not going to happen for me. Do you see the arrogance of me thinking I know the future? I love that promise so much because I can just keep my mouth shut and just hope. That's a huge promise. Um, the other promise I love is on page 46, that God does not make too hard a term with those who seek him. It is open, we believe, to all men. So God's not going to make too hard of terms with me, but I've got it. I'm going to do the work first. Like I'm going to do the work first. I'm not doing the work so that I can get this thing. I'm doing the work, hopefully, so I can help another person down the line. But I'm taking the action because of my step one. I'm taking the action because I'm going to die. Now, I hope this outcome happens, but I'm not doing it for the outcome. I'm doing it because I know I'm going to die. And I don't even know what the outcome is going to be. I just hope. That's a huge promise. We're starting to learn the principle of faith too. As we walk through step two, for me, it's a lot of, I don't know, but I hope. And I talk about this a lot at Maggie's because I think so much of step two gets so intertwined with God. But for me in my step two, God had nothing to do with step two. The promise, the promise was that, that I'm going to have this thing as long as I quit saying, I know, because I know is future tripping. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I still today future trip and say, I know. I don't know. I still don't know. Um, okay. Bill's story is huge. I think in step two, if you go to page 12 and Bill's story, 
it says it's in italics. It's in the middle of the page. It was only a matter of being willing to believe in a power greater than myself. Nothing more was required to make my beginning. I'm going to read that again. It was only a matter of being willing to believe. It, it, the, the step two doesn't say to believe in a power. It says that a power can help me, not in a power. So the promise is that as long as I can be willing to believe that it's going to happen for me. So that's a huge, I think it's a huge promise because I didn't understand for years I was an AA and I thought the promise was that God was going to do this, like God first. And the promise is that I've got to be willing first. And then, and then you give me hope sitting across. All right. The promises of step two, page 47 is the key to me in step two. And it's so simple. But this is where I go to when I'm um, helping someone through the woman through the work in step two. Do I now believe or am I even willing to believe that there's a power greater than myself? That's it. Like, I can sit in front of a woman and she's telling me all about this God thing. And I don't know about God. I hate God. I love God. I've been going to church all my life. I've been doing all blah, 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 all of it. The promise is if I'm willing to believe as soon as a man can say that he's does believers willing to believe we emphatically assure him is on his way. Step two takes two seconds. That's it. Doesn't take a month, two seconds. That's the promise. I don't have enough time to dilly around with this, you know? So I love step two so much because step two is such a, it was an anomaly. It was a, I thought it was completely different than, than what it was. Step three was like that for me too, but I love step two. All right. Let's talk about the prayers step two. For me, the most important prayer, and this is why we have it in the packet. We talk about it in detox a lot. Um, and I hope that you guys talk about it next step equally as much is the set aside prayer. It, to me, it literally is everything. And I have to say this prayer. I say it at least once a week for many different reasons. I get in fear at work. I think that I know, I, I don't, I'm not, maybe not as good of a listener to other people's ideas um, because I get arrogant and stuff. I, I, I literally, these things happen to all of us. I don't care how much sobriety you have because we're human beings. So the set aside prayer, help me to set aside everything I think I know about you, me, others, my own recovery, so I can be open to a new experience. So the, the cool thing about step two, and I know this is like big spiritual thing, is while I took step two and it took me a couple of minutes and I didn't really understand it, I live in step two every day, every single day of my life, because I am constantly having to set aside things that I think I know to be a better listener, to be a better wife, to be a better mother, to be a better coworker, to be a better person in the grocery store. Like, I think I know why that woman's going so slow. Like, <laughs> I mean, the simple details create such a clear picture of my spiritual journey. Like, am I really recovered? Am I really walking the walk? Or am I just talking talk? And setting aside everything I think I know it's hard. This is where we start literally 
on a daily basis, it's simple. That is such a simple prayer, but it's hard to live in that. And these are the things that test us. Um, it's a lot harder to live in alcoholism. It's a lot harder to be, uh, you know, in step one and out there drinking for sure. But this is the stuff that this woman is sitting in front of me, promising me that if I say this prayer, that I'm going to know a new freedom and a new happiness, and I will be rocketed into a fourth dimension. And that gave me hope. And so I, I just did what she asked me to do. And it's, it was the coolest transformation. I mean, it was a transformation if you knew me back then. All right. So let's talk about the principle of hope. I love the principle of hope and I'm hoping, like I said, I surrendered in step one and I'm hoping that this will work for me like it worked for you. But the other thing, the other couple of three words that I want to talk about, which I think are really equally important is open-minded, trust, and humility. Because I can have this hope, but I also have to be open-minded to a new experience, just like it talks about in the set-aside prayer. I have to be, and I've got to be open-minded for the rest of my life to new experiences. It's not just, to, just that in that moment. That's why this whole journey is so beautiful, because every day, I, I was telling Kelly this yesterday, you never know what's going to happen Every single day, it gets so interesting as long as I'm open-minded and I trust. And I don't have to trust in a human being, although I do, but I have to trust in God. I have to have faith. And, the, and faith is so different than believing to me. Because faith is, for me, is literally tape, taking this leap with this woman that I just met a couple of weeks ago. I'm saying, okay, I'm going to do this. Not knowing what's on the other side. I'm walking through, Martin Luther King said it best. I'm walking through this black doorway. These stairs are going to, I have no idea where, but this woman is holding my hand, telling me that it's safe. And I'm going to walk through there and trust. And that trust in that human being leads to a trust in God. It's a leap of faith. I don't know what's going to happen, but I have this, this, I'm so dead in step one that I don't have any other choice than to walk through the black door, the black doorway, which I have no idea. And so then the coolest thing about it is that it works. So later on down the road, I can see that me taking that faith, that faith leap through the black door. Now I've got experience because I know it works. So whenever I'm in fear in the future, which is always just lack of faith, I have experience that I just have to walk through the door and trust. The first trust relationship I had in the process was this recovered alcoholic who was sitting in front of me. I didn't trust the therapist. I didn't trust my doctors. I didn't even trust myself (laughs) because I'd lied to myself over and over again. So it was a really cool experience to have the humility out of step one to look at this woman and say, you know what? I don't know. I hope I'm going to take your hand. I'm going to walk through this black doorway with you because she was walking shoulder to shoulder with me. And then, you know, the principle, it worked. Like I haven't had a drink in 14 years. I didn't even quit drinking this time. 
I just had to trust this woman. That's why it's so important that we go out and we find alcoholic women to work with. I took the leap of faith and I learned what faith is through that process. I love step two. It changed, it changed and still changes um, my life on a daily basis because I can be in self-will or I can be in God's will. And step two for me is the ultimate test of that. And I think that's all I have. Anybody have any questions? No, but I do want to say, Lisa, that, that this is exactly how I envisioned this series. So okay. thank you so much. It was so good. So anybody have any questions before we set off for our day? I do. This is Julie. So just a quick question. Is one, two, and three done like immediately, like once you, you've acknowledged you're powerless, you, you know, in these three steps, is it done like immediately or do, do we need to spend a little bit more time with an individual in each one of those one, two, and three like days, or is it immediately we should be doing one, two, and three? Well, I would say, first of all, that you need to do whatever, however your sponsor directs you to do, because that's really important. That's a sponsor question, sponsor guided question. Some women, um, I will take, I'll just do step one. And especially for a newcomer that's never been through the program, who's never had any experience with anything re related to recovery. But my sponsor did one, two, and three. And it took about an hour and we sat down and did it at the same time, all together. We got on our knees. By the end of that meeting, I was on my fourth step. So I don't want to tell you how you need to talk to your sponsor about that, but I can tell you what I did. And that's what I did. Thank you, Julie. Great question. Anybody else? Yes. Hi, Elsa. Hi, I'm Elsa. I'm an alcoholic. Um, I always ask this question. I think it's because I go through this all the time. How much support uh, do you have from your family? <laughs> um, well, so that's a big question because back in the beginning, I didn't have any support. <laughs> my kids were seven to 13 when I got sober and they, everybody in my entire family was extremely pissed off at me, <laughs> like really upset. Um, it took a couple of years for my son, my 13-year-old. I mean, he practically raised his younger brothers for a long time. And he couldn't even have his friends over to, you know, our house. It took a long, a long road to reconstruction. But I kept doing the work no matter what. No matter what. I've got so many stories of my sponsor talking to my husband. Amanda. But the Elsa, the one thing we'll tell you today is that my children love the fact that I'm an alcoholic. It literally has become the biggest asset in our entire family. My husband's gotten involved up here at Maggie's. My boys take phone calls from their friends who A, need help themselves, or their moms or dads are alcoholics. We talk about it. They talk about it. They're not ashamed of it. I mean, literally, I've made, well, not me, it's God have made alcoholism look attractive. I just have a disease and I'm not ashamed to talk about it. And so because of that, it took a long time though, 
because they had to look past my behavior to see that it served a bigger picture. It served a bigger purpose. It wasn't just me. And they finally started to see that. It took some maturity too, some age and maturity, but they see it now and they're a thousand percent supportive. They see it. Thank you so much. I wait all night long for this question. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Elsa. Anybody else? All right. Well, thank you so much, Lisa. Like I said, this is exactly how I envisioned this going. Um, so thank you for spending your morning with us. Super grateful for you and to work for the Magdalene House. Super grateful for the Next Step participants and graduates. I see you graduates on here uh, spending their morning with us as well. So you guys all have a great day. And again, if you liked this episode or any other episode, please like review, subscribe, um, and help us reach more alcoholic women. Thank you guys. Thank you guys. Bye. Thank you. Have a great day. This podcast is from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a nonprofit organization located in Dallas, Texas, and we provide comprehensive recovery services to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost. You can learn more and support our mission at magdalenhouse.org.